You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 96 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. And today we're coming to you from the booth at the Sachem Public Library in Holbrook, New York, and the M.S. Clark Memorial Library in Satoka, New York. Library Pros Podcast is a bi-monthly podcast, so please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. And please check us out on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Library Pros. Consider leaving a review or telling someone about us because word of mouth is the best way to help our podcast listenership grow. So today joining us is Anna Raunick, the Executive Director for Content and Client Services at State Library Queensland in Australia. Anna is going to talk to us about the Alkira software that the State Library has utilized to bring Anzac Stories, a collection of oral histories from veterans of all Australian armed forces from the World Wars and beyond, available via voice skill activation with Alexa, Google, and all other forms of voice-operated devices. But before we get started, let's have a chat with Anna. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast to talk about this amazing technology. I'm really excited about it. Bob and I are both really big history nerds. So when we connected, it was really an exciting thing. I know I got excited about it. So do you have a particular interest in history? I think my interest in history comes from working at the State Library because we have an amazing collection of history books, but also original materials. So when you get to see a diary that's handwritten by someone 150 years ago or a shipboard journal or a letter by, we've just um, found some letters written by Captain Cook to his wife, that brings history to life. Without having someone else act as a mediator, you get to see the original content and make your own um, observations and analysis on that. So that's pretty exciting. It's the ultimate primary source, source, right? Yeah, exactly. So, Anna, what about technology gets you excited for the future within our profession? Well, I think back over the last 30 years, it's the technology space that I've worked in in the library, and that's why I continue to work here in particular. At the State Library of Queensland, we're responsible for library services across the state in a state that's bigger than five times bigger than Texas, to give you some context. Um, so it's technology that's really allowed us to be a library for all of Queenslanders rather than expecting Queenslanders to drive 2,000 kilometres to Brisbane to be able to engage with us here at the State Library. So I think new technologies like um, voice skill is interesting from a number of perspectives including the ability to expand our services to people with a disability, as well as just people that are time poor that, you know, are sitting in their car and want to engage with content and ask a question and get an answer. So for me, it's the opportunity to do more within the context of why we're here and working in libraries. And to probably uh, what I love about the technology is that we can surprise people and tell, show them what we didn't know we had and what you could do in the library. And that definition of in the library becomes more than a physical building. Well, that's actually a great segue into the next question, too. So tell us about the State Library Queensland, especially for the listeners who obviously are not in Queensland or not in Australia. Yeah, so um, it's good to have some context. I agree. Uh, State Library of Queensland this year, we celebrate 120 years. So compared to some places in the US who are relatively young, but 120 is pretty exciting for us and we'll be doing things to celebrate throughout the year. We're responsible for collecting and preserving a comprehensive collection of Queensland's cultural and documentary 
heritage. So it's collecting the stories of Queensland. And over the last 10 to 20 years, we've really tried to focus not just on collecting for its own sake, but ensuring we're collecting the diversity of stories. So that includes First Nations, people from migrant backgrounds, people from a disability, LGBTIQ communities. You know, we want to make sure that that history and those stories are here for future generations. And that's the complexity of working at the State Library because you're collecting for an audience you don't know who they are and what they're going to do. And... Um, but we're also responsible for um, providing free access to information for all of Queenslanders. So we say that is about the information you need to be an informed citizen. So whether that's about what's happening in Queensland or whether it's about understanding the situation in Ukraine, that's the sort of information you can find at the State Library of Queensland. We play a lead role in serving all of Queenslanders and supporting public libraries. So there are over 320 public libraries in Queensland and as well um, nearly 30 uh, libraries in Indigenous communities that we call Indigenous Knowledge Centres. So a very big role in a very big state. In 2019, we were asked by the Queensland Government to take over the role of managing the visitor services and exhibition spaces in our um, Anzac Square Memorial Galleries. So Anzac Square Memorial Galleries is in the CBD and it is the place where you go in each capital city to acknowledge and find out more about service. So it's exciting for us to be asked to take over this role because it's become a very fantastic way for us to expose our collections. So the people going to the galleries get to engage with um, digital content that we've digitised about First World War and Second World War and post-World War peacekeeping, but as well they get to engage with plaques and memorials and the statues that are in that space. So Anna, how did you come to work at the State Library? So what was your beginning? I have been at the State Library for a very long time and I was asked to come and work here as an early graduate on a special program to do with um, engaging non-English speaking people with our collections throughout Queensland. So as a person that was, um, you know, born in Australia but of migrant parents, um, that was my plus and being a new graduate. So it was very exciting for me to be able to, um, we have a collection of over 60 languages. And the big issue, of course, is engaging with communities to, to know and understand that they can access these collections free of charge. So it was a great way to, um, to really sell the idea of what a library is and can be to those communities and to travel throughout Queensland. And from there, I started getting involved with new technologies and how those technologies could make a difference to a statewide service. Well, so you've been there for quite a while, huh? You almost yep. started fresh out of the gate, huh? Pretty much. It was my second job. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Let me tell you quickly a technology story. When we, when I was studying my library calls, um, we were asked to. We had the Brisbane had a um, information technology week to expose the community to new technologies, and we were asked to go to the state library and help with that uh, an expo. And the technology was the fax machine, and um, <laughs> we, we they had a fax machine on loan. And we got members of the public to write a message on a piece of paper, faxed it to another library, who then wrote a reply and faxed it back. So that's how far I've come in technology. That's pretty funny. That's excellent. <laughs> that is really cool. Well, I love that story. 
That is really cool. That is. So let's take a short break because we've got a lot of ground to cover tonight. Um, And when we return, we're going to chat with Anna about voice skill activation and how it enhanced oral history, the oral history collection of Anzac stories and how we can all get a history lesson on what Anzac Day is because here in the States, we're not, it's like our Memorial Day and Veterans Day all kind of wrapped up into one and what it means to Australia. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Library Pros Podcast. We are back with Anna Raunick from State Library, Queensland. Okay, so before we start talking about this cool technology and the project, can you explain for our audience what Anzac Day is and what the significant significance is for Australia and its military history? Of course. Anzac Day is, stands for the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps, and it happens, its commemoration date is April the 25th, and it commemorates the landing in 1915 during World War I of the Anzac in the Gallipoli Peninsula in Turkey. So um, it was a major, it was the first battle that Australia, Australia had only been federated in 1901. So it was the very first major battle that Australians um, participated in. And it is, most people find it interesting that we choose to commemorate a battle that we didn't win. But it was certainly the start, very um, important nationalistic event for us, I suppose. It's interesting in, when you look at it historically that people started meeting and commemorating the following year. So that idea of getting together and commemorating the fallen happened pretty quickly after Anzac Day. And I'm not sure if it's the same in the States, but in Australia you'll find every capital city has a memorial site but also the smallest town will have some sort of memorial there. And that started after World War I in acknowledgement that families had nowhere to go. There was no grave. So they could go to a memorial and, um, and respect and acknowledge that service. So for Anzac Day, it starts with a dawn, a dawn service. So thousands of people get up in the morning in the dark to commemorate at the same time as the um, Anzacs landed on Gallipoli, a service that commemorates both the Anzacs and the Fallens for the rest of the 100 years, but also those that are currently serving. Um, it's a very special day. Things It's a public holiday. Things are closed. Um, it's only uh, there's the service in the morning and then there's usually a parade in most cities. And then it's only after the parade that you can go and have a drink and, and have a celebration. So that's um, part of respect. To give you a bit of context, this year in Melbourne, um, over 50,000 people attended the dawn service, which I think is astounding. Later that afternoon, 80,000 people went to a football match. So it gives you a sense of how many Australians treat this day with the significance it deserves. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of it's interesting, the parallel. So for Veterans Day here in the United States, it was originally Armistice Day. It was the day, the 11th day of the 11th hour, the 11th month when they signed the um, the ceasefire in 1918. Yep. So that's that originally before World War Two, it was it was Armistice Day. And then it tra- transitioned after World War Two here in the States to mm-hmm. uh, to Veterans Day. So it, it's derived from the same thing. And yeah, many 
many towns here, I, I can't speak for the whole country, but I know that my small town here, it was started as a World War One memorial. Now it's a memorial mm-hmm. that goes all the way through Iraq and Afghanistan. So yeah. it, it's, it holds very true here as well. And mm-hmm. Bob, where Bob lives or where Bob's library is, it goes all the way back to the, the Revolutionary War here. Yeah, we have a lot of history um, yeah. in pocket area. So, Anna, before we talk about the tech, I guess, can you tell us about Anzac stories and its beginnings? Yeah. So, um, as I said, in 2019, we had the opportunity to look after or manage the galleries and in the memorial of Anzac Square. And we were looking forward to um, our first Anzac Day in that square, which happens in April, as I said. But March the 23rd, we all went into lockdown. And um, we realised we had less than a month to go before Anzac Day was going to be celebrated and couldn't be celebrated by people having a dawn service or visiting the galleries to find out more and and commemorate the fall. And it was timely because we were talking to Alkira about um, voice activation and how that could be used to enhance the website initially for people with a disability. So acknowledging that people with a disability, um, the software that's used to access our websites and our catalogue can be quite clunky. And Alkira as a company was looking at ways to make that a better user experience and then was also starting to think about this isn't a technology that's limited to people with a disability. So um, in 2020, 20% of Google searches happen by voice. And there are over 4 billion digital voice assistants and there's probably a lot more in the last couple of years. So thinking about how our um, information, our services could be made accessible through this was part of the conversation we were having with Alkira. And I was really intrigued on how we could expand that to being more than a transactional conversation. Is the library opened? Um, you know, do you have this book or what, what, what's on next? What's on at the library? So um, I think in some ways the lockdown and the conversations we were having with the company coalesced when we sat around on the you know, 25th of April and said, what can we do for Anzac Day? And that's how the story of Anzac Stories came about. Pretty amazing, really. And it's another one of those things that were side effects to lockdown. Yeah. You know, libraries really, by necessity, had to evolve because of yeah. everything that happened. It happened with, with every library, I think, in the world that, you know, where, where there was a COVID problem, we all had to adapt. And libraries, I think, are really good at doing that. And I know at our library, some really great things and new policies, procedures, and tech came out of, you know, uh, being locked down. And this is just fascinating that it arose out of uh, out of lockdown. I mean, so, I've been asked, would you, would you have done it anyway? And I say, yeah, we probably would have done it. We wouldn't have done it in four weeks. We probably would have taken a lot more time, but I'm not sure the outcome would have been any better. So, you know, the fact that COVID has, has taught us all to take, you know, more of a risk or be prepared to accept something that's not perfect is, I think, a really great learning. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, in terms of that that oral history component, too, I think it maybe the pandemic facilitated the speed at which you moved in order to get it done mm-hmm. as well, as yeah, opposed exactly. to it being Definitely. more long and drawn out and being distracted by mm-hmm. other things happening in the building. Exactly. So the oral, I, I was able to listen to some of them and is absolutely mm-hmm. riveting and, and wonderful to hear. 
And it's just such a wonderful way to document the events. I think we had said before we started recording, it's the ultimate primary source. Mm -hmm. Uh, So thinking in terms of the interviews, where did you get this material? Because obviously the veterans from World War I aren't with us anymore. Was it like the Imperial War Museum or, or something like that? No, the um, stories are all part of our collection. Some of them were letters in our collection that we had to get quickly recorded. Others we um, already had as oral histories. So we, again, because of the time frame, we looked for what we had that suited our requirements and but also was a compelling story. And as you said, I don't know if you've heard the story from World War One of the young man who's writing to his parents and says, you know, if you receive this letter, it's because I've died. Um, it's the it's the most heartbreaking story of an emotionally intelligent serviceman who's writing to his parents. And if if anything, having that story read to you by a young man really brings it home. Yeah. The other one that's in there from World War One, I think, is a prisoner of war. So when you hear the stories from a prisoner of war, especially when we're in lockdown, it's sort of, I remember responding, thinking, stop complaining. Before lockdown, there was this movie called They Shall Not Grow Old that was done by, um, I think it was Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. And uh, in hearing these stories, it immediately, in my head, brought me to that movie. If you're not familiar with it, take a look at it because Peter Jackson, mm-hmm. who is the, the guy that did all the Hobbit movies, did an amazing job of not only colorizing, correctly colorizing oh, yes. the films. Yep. He actually, because back in those days, there was no motor to turn to turn the film. So it was all hand cranked. So it always was people were moving at a different speed. He was able mm-hmm. to, with his team, slow down the speed that, which the film was moving to make it realistic. And then they actually brought in people who could read lips so they could actually hear the voices of these people that have long since passed. And because of the markings on the uniforms, they even knew the accents that these, oh, wow. that these people that the, the soldiers would have. So then they brought in voiceover artists that had those particular accents that were from those particular areas. And they were able to bring life to the voices of those that are, no longer with us. It, he had gotten his material from the Imperial War Museum in, in uh, the UK. So, yeah, so that was very well documented where they even knew the dates of the battles, where the film was taken, what regiments were involved. The Imperial War Museum is, is probably the gold standard. But yeah. in terms of what you have, what you've done over there, it, it immediately brought that to my mind because it's the same mm-hmm. quality. Mm-hmm. And it really, it really struck me because I'm, I'm a, big time history nerd, especially for this period between World War One, World War Two. So, so our first version of Anzac stories used our recordings, but they used automated voices to do the directions. So, you know, the directions that say if you want to listen to World War One, you know, say World War One was all done by an automated voice. In the second year when we had a bit more time, we got that the instructional part recorded by um, an actor. But they also added some sound effects to the stories. So when you listen to version two, you start to get some really lovely sound effects that add to the stories. So I think it shows how you enhance the product, but it doesn't. Um, the first version was pretty strong in, in four weeks, as we said. And to have that material available is, is just mm-hmm. unbelievable. It's some collection. 
Yeah, but I think that's the, that's one of the complexities of in you know in a big library organization like ours. A common response is we don't know what you have. If you'd come to our library, you probably wouldn't have thought to look for oral histories that have already pre-recorded and available digitally. So that you know how we make how we make more browse experiences and expose the community to what is in the library is one of our goals. And one of our strategic goals is to put our content where people are, not expecting them to come to us. So doing working with Anzac Stories in Alkira was a nice example of that. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It really is great. That's a great segue into our next question, too, Anna. So you shared with us before the podcast some examples of the voice activation uh, connected to the project. So who suggested integrating voice activation, and can you tell us about Alkira's software and and, and um, that brought the idea to life? Certainly, we've done some more work with Alkira on other content, and it is really, I, for me, it was how do we move from a transactional um, voice application to letting people I was thinking that you could be in the car or you could have your be your hands would be busy but you could still engage with content and and particularly thinking about people um, one of the activities that um, we prom were promoted across Queensland and Australia for Anzac Day during lockdown was that instead of going to the dawn service you stood at your driveway with a candle or a, or a torch. And that's how you commemorate it. So the idea of them being able to have Anzac stories playing the last post and listening to a story while you're doing that commemoration, it all came together really nicely. It really is cool. It really, really, it's, you could tell how well done it is because just from the audio that you had sent us, it's fascinating to see how that worked. Right. Um, so referencing those recordings you shared with us, is there also an interactive component to the voice activation software. Uh, there is actually, there is an inter interactive point to it with, with replacing poppies. Um, yeah. at, at You get to pick which, which war you wanted the poppy to be placed at as well. So can you tell us mm -hmm. how, how that was utilized for the project, where that came from, how that was done? Because that, that, that fascinated me. So initially a staff member in the gallery said, oh, could we let, could people email us or use social media and tell us where to put a poppy and we could do it on their behalf? And because we had this idea bubbling when we started working on Anzac Stories, we, we talked to our carer about how could we activate that and make it part of the um, voice skill. So when you're um, engaging with Anzac Stories, you get the option you get asked a question, do you want to leave, do you want to commemorate someone or a component of the war? And then, as you said, you get to either name a battalion or a theatre of war or you let us do it for you. We ask you then to, um, if you'd like to leave your email address, we will then um, have the poppy, put the poppy up and then take a picture and send it to you. So within a week, Anzac Stories went live uh, the day before Anzac Day, and for, in over seven days, we had 265 requests for poppy lays, which was pretty astounding. We had thought we might get 30 or 40, so we were very surprised. Another interesting story when it was developed, um, we at the beginning, we asked you if you would tell us which state you came from because we thought this would have an Australian appeal and not just be about Queensland. It never occurred to us that we would get people from New Zealand, the US and the UK um, 
using it and asking for poppies to be laid. So again, a good story thinking about how broad the content and the engagement could be. And that's had to be some of the enhancement work that we're doing. That must have been, felt really good to see it, that they had that kind of reach. Yeah, definitely. And, and really positive engagement. And just as an aside, can you explain to the listeners what the significance of poppies are? Because it has to do with the Flanders Fields, right? Yep. And um, it is the, I'm not sure it's like in the US, but in Australia, um, poppies are used as a symbol of peace and acknowledgement of war and um, contribution. And um, most people wear a poppy on Anzac Day and on Remembrance Day. So the laying of a poppy is the simple way of acknowledging um, a thanking the you know people for service. And it always looks pretty stunning if you have a look at the website to see battalions and plaques with red poppies all around them. Yeah, that it is really cool. I know that our veterans of foreign wars, when when you need to give a donation, they give you a poppy. It's a, it's, yeah. it's not a real, it's a paper poppy, but still it's, you know. Yeah, I'm saying here. But um, my understanding is that, yeah, in Flanders Fields and in France, the poppies was the first flowers that started to grow after the, the wars and those battlefields. So um might be a bit of an urban legend, but it always sounds lovely, doesn't it? It does. It really does. Anna, so uh, we're excited to hear what's next for the project. So do you have any uh, future ideas you can, you can tell yeah, us about? Yeah, so... We've just finished uh, another project that is um, in the area of um, literacy for children. We run a really big um, project here that's called First by Forever. It's about encouraging literacy in children before they go to school, supporting parents and carers in how to engage their um, children in that literacy space. And um, so this is another one of those experiments where we wanted to see how can we support a parent who's probably got their hands full or is in the car driving somewhere and is trying to keep their, their child occupied? Part of the program is that as you can subscribe to a tip a day so you can get that tip as a voice-activated acknowledgement. So that's something else that we are you know, experimenting with to see if it works with the community. The other error is just working with um, Alkira is to improve the website. So it's a good practice for everyone, I think, listening and you guys to, um, if you haven't done this before, go to Google or Alexa and ask them about your library and see what the response is. So if someone just used voice activation to say, Siri, is, is Blah Library open today? See what the response is. Because how you design your website and how you structure that content will be will depend on how that response happens. So um, I think trying to make our websites more voice-friendly and useful, but more importantly, I'm really keen to work on making our catalogues work better in that space. And that's really something that could be a game changer going into the future. So instead of going up to, you know, what we call an OPAC, you know, going into... Yeah. <laughs> that that yucky old language from you know whenever they they started doing you know the OPACs, and to to now actually maybe walk up to a computer, touch the microphone, and say, yeah. find me books about Anzac Day, and then boom, you you get it. I mean, our phones kind of do that now, so yeah. that that's one part of libraries that's always a bit stressful because when you want to introduce something as innovative as that, you know, library, sorry, library land, but you're not the greatest at embracing change especially when it comes yeah. to traditional things like OPACs, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's work that we have to do with our library vendors and work that we have to be more 
you know, proactive and insistent. Um, some of the systems allow you to use voice excavation to activate a query. What books have you got on Anzac? But is how do you get a response that is a you know fifteen thousand words because there are twenty books found? How does it tell you the best book? Or um, I really want to get an e-book. Or it's it's much more than a simple transaction. Do you have a book on Anzac? Because it's going to come back with fifteen books on Anzac, isn't it? Right. And I'm not going to listen right. to you tell me all of those books on Anzac and how many pages are in there and who the publisher was, followed <laughs> by comma and dot points. I was just going to say that. It's like it's reading the entire Mark record and like, oh, we don't exactly. want to hear this. It's like when you when you ask Siri to read read your latest text and it's like a a, a delivery notification goes from three two four nine six two. Your delivery has been yeah. And it reads all of the that's text. The, and, yeah. That's the smarts that we have to work with our vendors to do differently and better. Exactly. And and a lot of those vendors, sorry vendors, but some of those vendors, you know, when you're talking about databases and things, other than them becoming GUI, they're the same databases from the old days yeah, of InfoTrack. You know, exactly. So they've just been adapted and adapted and patched and, and mm. sorry vendors. Didn't mean to rain on your parade, but, you know, it's time to step up a little bit. And we have to be more demanding. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We have to kind of take the reins with that, as it were. So this is an amazing project. I can't wait to play with it more. We're going to put links to all this stuff and attach, some, if you if you don't mind, attach some of the links to some of the stuff you send us as examples right. so people can listen to it from our show notes. And we encourage everybody from all around the world to take a look at this and, and play with this because... I think this is the future, especially when it comes to special collections that, you know, and, and the fact that it's oral, I mean, this is an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. You can sit and listen mm -hmm. to this instead of, like you said, reading the letters, which is, which is rough emotionally, but to hear a, a voice actor doing it yeah. justice makes, it, it brings it to another whole level. So this is something I, that everybody should check out. And like I said, we'll have all the info in the show notes. So definitely check that out. So when we come back, we are going to be asking Anna our top 10 library questions or what we call the 032 list, which is a Dewey number for top 10 lists. And we always give credit where credit is due to Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library here in New York for naming the list of questions we ask all of our guests. So we will be right back. We're back with Anna Raunick from uh, who will be our next participant in our 032 list. Okay. So are you ready? Go. Okay. First question. What did you want to be when you were a child? Not a librarian. <laughs> I never knew what I wanted to be. <laughs> All right. So what is your first memory of a library and who brought you to the library for the first time? My first memory was the school library. So it was the school librarian. I grew up in a family um, born in Australia, but of immigrant parents. So libraries weren't part of their culture. So I think it's one of the things I always remember when we talk, think about our community, that not everyone understands the value or the opportunity of libraries. So always very thankful for our school librarians. So when did you decide to work in a library and was it your first career path? Because many of us, 90% of us, it was not a first career path. It was a 
purpose group path for me in Australia, um, we we do you do your degree and then you go and do a graduate diploma in library science. So that's what I did. I did general arts degree and then decided to do library science. And um, yeah, for me, it was my first choice as an adult. We have a, a two percenting here, Bob. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you and my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Anna, who would you say your favorite fictional librarian would be? That one was easy. That would have to be Catherine Hepburn in Death Soap. I don't think we've had that one before. before. No, we haven't had that one before. It's amazing. From the 50s where she works, they bring in a computer to to replace a library in a newspaper office. It's amazing with Spencer Tracy. I'm going to have to check that out, yeah. So what would you be doing if you weren't working in libraries? Um, I think I'd want to work in a in a profession that is in some sort of social good um, space, you know, something in public welfare, I suppose, something where you're trying to make a difference. Yeah, that's kind of ingrained in us, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to imagine being somewhere else, isn't it, after a career? Uh, what would you say is your favorite section of the library? Well, for me, because I've spent the last, you know, 20 years of my career working in the digital space, I would have to say the website and the catalog. You're not going to get an argument from us. <laughs> no, not at all. No. If you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to your library? <gasps> this was such a tough question. I want it to be an amazing space that's open all the time, but I really want it to be a space, physical and digital, that is in that connects with more people in their everyday life. So what do you absolutely love about libraries? Um, I love that they're free. I love our commitment to intellectual freedom and privacy. I love the experimentation and innovation that we do here. And I love that we can make a difference. So what is the weirdest, not necessarily worst, weirdest thing that's ever happened in your library, in your career? In my career, probably the travel that I've been able to do, so traveling all around Queensland as part of my work with public libraries, which meant that, you know, I could travel to places like Thursday Island on the tip of Queensland and, you know, be walking on the beach and seeing a crocodile. Um, Things like that have been pretty exciting for me. (laughs) But I won't tell you about the amount of times I've got bogged and stuck and... (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Anna, do you have a favorite regular patron? Well, probably my role, um, not individuals anymore. I think for me, a favorite patron would be someone who um, is find something they didn't know we had and was surprised by what we did and what we had in the collection. So our final question, what are people without library cards missing out on? Well, they're missing out on capitalizing on their rates and taxes, for one thing, because even though we like to say things are free, they've already paid for them. I think they're missing out on lots of opportunities that um, for them, for their children, for their families, and um, the opportunity to engage with knowledge information and be surprised by what we have. Wow. So this has been really, really great. So can you give us uh, some plugs? Like where can people find... Anzac stories and your website and all that good stuff. 
Yep. So certainly um, encourage everyone to visit our website, which is the State Library of Queensland, and you'll share those show in the show notes. Yep. Anzac Stories comes up when you do a Google search, but certainly if you have Amazon or Alexa, just ask for Anzac Stories and you can engage directly with the content. And yeah, follow us on social media. Awesome. That is great. Anna, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. I know it was, it's been a while trying to get everything lined up and with the time difference, it's, it's a little crazy, but we appreciate you coming on. It's great. It's great to be able to share the story and happy to, um, and thankful to be able to talk about it and look forward and be quite happy to answer any queries from any of your listeners if they want to know more. Awesome. Thank you so much thank for coming on. No worries. We have come to the end of another episode of The Library Pros, and we thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments on this or any episode, click on the Contact Us form on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Visit us on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Don't forget to tell a friend or colleague and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our podcasting engineer, Dean Meyer. Remember, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and are not those of the Sachem Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. See you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch.